0: Uh, We're going to be in a couple of areas of Scripture tonight Hebrews chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, there is one in the seat back pocket there in front of you. You are welcome to that Bible. Uh, Let me say, as you are turning to those pages, uh, many of you have asked about Maui and how we are going to be involved. I've reached out to a church uh, that is uh, a church locally that has a church plant there, as well as um, a local missionary. And we are praying through how we're going to get engaged and involved. And so we'll keep you posted. Let me let you know uh, when these things happen globally. Uh, a lot of money rushes in, and then about three months from now, when everyone has need and the politics and the hoorah is over, that's probably when we'll begin to engage, so that we can have more of an effect uh, with uh, some the people that are there, and so. Um, From what I understand, uh, there's a lot of agencies that have gotten engaged and involved, um, but we want to make sure that we've got a longer lasting impact. So um, don't think our lack of uh, response, what seems to be our lack of response uh, is not one uh, with Zach in prayer. We're in prayer. We just want to minister to exactly who God is calling us to minister to. Amen? Amen. Let me also say, uh, go witness September, September Amen. September 9th through 17th, we are bringing in our global experts, missionaries from around the world, to teach us how to reach L.A., and so we're excited about that. Uh, ladies, you're headed out, huh? Over 300, 300 of you are leaving us. I asked my wife, what will I eat? <laughs> She was very wise and said, in and out, amen. (laughs) Would you go with me to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts? Father, how grateful we are that our ladies are getting ready to be ministered to. We pray for Louise, our guest speaker. We pray, Lord, for all the ladies that are going. We ask God as they retreat that you would minister to them in a powerful way. We pray, Father, for Maui again. And we ask God that your divine spirit would intervene and specially be the God of all comfort to those that family members that remain and those that lost their lives. We pray, Lord, that as a church who cares, because you care, that you would give us the wisdom as to who exactly you want us to minister to. And I pray specifically for the person that's been forgotten. Forgotten. Lord, lead us by your Spirit. And now as we dig into your Word, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A group of people have gotten together to encourage some struggling saints. You remember the last time that we got together, the writer said, we have much to say. This is a group of people then maybe that's why we don't know exactly who the author is. But they write to Jewish Christians. They're struggling saints. They were drifting away. They were departing from the faith. They were lacking a diligence in the relationship with God. They were facing pressure from their family, the problems of being a first century world Christian, and they were facing persecution because they had decided to follow Jesus. Now, I don't know if you know this and why this book is so appropriate. We are living in the day of Hebrews. A recent poll, a recent uh, survey by Lifeway Research, and 69% of those that were surveyed at the age of 17 were going to church. At the age of 18, it fell to 58%. At the age of 19, that number fell to 40% of those that turned away from the church. In their 20s, only one out of three remained in church in today's world. The Barner Group did a recent survey. 3,500 people in the United States of America leave the church per day. That means 1.2 million people this year will leave the church. They call it... A silent migration. But the writer of Hebrews, much like we need to hear today, is making the argument What did the world have to offer you that you would go back to it? Jesus is everything you need, He is better than anything that you could ever go back to. And so now, in the middle of Hebrews, He's taking a commercial break to let us know that Jesus is our great high priest. I mean, what a great high priest he is. He understands it's rough. He was the God-man. And he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, he was tempted, the Bible says, but he was without sin. He can sympathize. He understands. Jesus, he has compassion as our great high priest. The function of a high priest was to have compassion on those who go astray. And Jesus, he says, he says to all those who have gone astray, Come to the throne of grace and you will receive mercy. There is something about Jesus that I just expressed to someone two weeks ago. He will always leave the 99 to get the one. His name is Javier. And Javier came to me two weeks ago on his cane, struggling with addiction. He said, Pastor Chet, the Lord came and got me and I've come home. I left the church for a while, but now I've given my whole life to Jesus and I just wanted to come up and I just wanted to shake your hand and tell you what Jesus is doing in my life. But Javier didn't know. (laughs) Javier did not know that it would only be a week later that a drunk driver would hit him and he would go home to be with the Lord. Javier goes to our church And as a church, we mourn with his family, but we celebrate the Lord that he left the 99 to go and get the one. You see, he is our great high priest. He knows the heartache of being obedient to God's word in today's world. Jesus was obedient to the death on a cross. Pick it up with me in Hebrews chapter 5. Look what the Bible says in verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Let me tell you something about our great high priest. He gets us. He's Jesus. What the writer is doing... Is he's encouraging them with these great truths because the writer is about to exhort them. This is where the audience goes, ah, because none of us like that word, exhort. Now, he's been hinting all the way. He tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that the Word of God can discern our thoughts and the intents of our heart, He knows what you're thinking. Do you know the song about Santa? He knows that if you've been good or bad. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus is not Santa, okay? He knows what's going in your heart right now. He knows if you're happy to be here or not. He knows if you're hungry or not. He knows if you like me better than Fidel or not. I called I call Pastor Fidel and I said, hey, I don't know how it went. How did it go at the church? And he goes, um, do you want to be gone next Thursday? I'll come back. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't discern our thoughts. If you'll take a, in Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, I've underlined it in my Bible. He's already hinted, we must give an account. And now going on in Hebrews chapter five, verse nine, take a look, and having been perfected, speaking of Jesus, our great high priest, he became the author of, and I've underlined this, eternal salvation to all who obey him. Stop there for just a moment. He's letting us know that Jesus has been and set the example of someone who was perfected. In other words, he completed the work that God called him to do at a great personal cost. It cost him his life. And because he died on the cross, he became the author of eternal salvation. Now listen, he wrote the book, he's the author, he wrote the book on what it means to have eternal salvation. Let me tell you what that means, Christian. He didn't say temporal salvation. That phrase is very important because if you're saved, you're saved for an eternity. No one can take your salvation from you. No one can rip you out of the hand of God. Now let me tell you about the hand of God. It holds the waters of the world in the palm of his hand. That's a big hand. No one can rip you out of his hand. But what I find, what I find that people, they would rather me encourage them with the word of eternal salvation than the word that I used at the beginning, if you're saved. What do you mean if? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I like the way that you use that word, Pastor Chet. I mean, I would rather you say to me, "You can do it. you go ahead. If Chet can't do it, no one can, than if you would to say to me, "You need to change your life." It's easy to sit in my office and for me to say, "You're so great." oh, I just love the way that you serve, Than it is for you to sit in my office and for me to say, the word of God says that you're in sin and you need to change. Who wants exhortation? Just line up. You can line up right out the door of my office. Walk on in. I'll give you a little exhortation. Let me tell you something. The line would be very short. But there's a reason that he needs to exhort them there's a reason that he needs to challenge their faith. Much like a coach will challenge an athlete, he desires that the athlete gets better. So if you'll take a look once again at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, and having been perfected, he completed, he did the work God called him to do, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. In other words, he's a different kind of priest from a different line, of whom we've much to say, and here it comes, it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Let me tell you something about the Bible. The Bible does not struggle with clarity. You don't have to wonder, now what is God thinking? And what the writer of Hebrew does is identify the problem. They've become dull of hearing. You see, the writer wants to talk to them about a very deep spiritual subject. And he's going to get to it in chapter 7. Good old Melchizedek. We're going to get there in chapter 7. But he can't. He can't speak to them because they've become dull. 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 Now, I need to let you know what this word means. It means sloth or slothful. Take a look. I was hoping you could run a plate for us. We are in a really big hurry. Sure. What's the plate? Two, nine, T- th- Number. Two, thd T-H-D-0-3. Two, nine. THD 03. T H D zero three H D zero three D zero three zero three A D zero three. D. Mhm. Zero three. Zero. Three. Hey, Flash. Want to hear a joke? No. Sure. What do you call a three-humped camel? I don't know. What do you call a... Three-humped camel. Three-humped camel. Pregnant. (laughs) Ah. Ah. Uh. <laughs> ah, yes, uh. very funny, very funny. Pl- <laughs> a sloth. Now think for just a moment. Think for just a moment. This group was no longer growing at a normal rate. He says, they have become. Now, this indicates that at one time, they were growing, but no longer. It also expresses that they stopped listening to truth. Now, think for just a moment. This is why he has taken so much time with the issues found in chapters one through four. Now, understand. They were going back to their mystical parts of religion with angels. We understood that from chapter 1. They were falling back into the traditions of the law of Moses. That's exactly what was happening in chapter 2 and 3. In fact, they were so stressed out about being so legalistic, he has to encourage them in chapter 3, would you be diligent to stay in the rest of God? Now, clearly... They were acting in ignorance. And clearly, they were going astray. That's why he talks about the great high priest who has compassion to run after those who go astray. Now, the reason why he identifies the problem that they become dull of hearing is because he wants to give a prescription for the cure. It's Hebrews chapter 5. Would you take a look at verse 12? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. stop there if you would. Take a look at verse 12. For though by this time, I need to remind you, Hebrews is written 25 to 30 years away from the resurrection. So this group has been saved quite a while. Two, three decades. But the pressures of life from their family, the problems of living in their world, the persecution was affecting them. And while the great high priest has compassion for their condition, he loves them too much to leave them where they're at. How many of you have grown in faith in the last year? How many have grown in the faith in the last two years? How many of you grow, grown in faith the last three years? How many of you are no longer the same person that you were when you came to Christ? Yeah. You see, I have to help you understand. He says to them, listen, I love you. Come to the throne of grace to receive mercy. He says, you're way too old To be thinking like that. You've been saved for 25 years and he's communicating them you're still drinking milk. Now, this phrase, the first principles of the oracles of God, it refers to the birth, the sinless life, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, they were acting as if they had just gotten saved, but they'd been saved for 25 years. Now, my children are grown. In fact, we're sending time into college next week. No more children in my house. Well, I mean, he'll come back, we think. Can you imagine me going with my adult children to the restaurant? I want you to imagine you see me at the restaurant. And there I am with all of my children at the restaurant, and I'm doing this. Okay, open up. Here it comes. Mm-hmm. To my 40-year-old son. Okay? Mm-hmm. Open. Oh, 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 oh. You're not open. Come on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just imagine—you know those ridiculous faces that you make to children. Ooh, go, 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 go. You gotta eat. Come on, clap, 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 clap your head. Just imagine if you saw me with Timon, my 18-year-old child, at a restaurant doing this. Some of you would go, "There's a problem." <laughs> there is a problem. No, when you see an adult, you expect them to act like an adult. It's weird to see an adult acting like a child. And what he's saying to them is, listen, you're 25 years old. And these guys ought to be teachers. Listen carefully, church. Ought. Ought. This word means to owe someone something. And let me tell you what we owe the church. We owe others discipleship. Amen. We owe others what we know about Christ. We are, according to the scripture, we are obligated to share with others. Right. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. You may want to write it down. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, you might say, well, I don't know much. I just came to Christ. Let me tell you something. Whatever you know, you can share. We're obligated to share with others what we know about faith. Let me tell you why. Sharing our faith helps us grow. Now, being a teacher means being a discipler. Listen carefully. This is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Did you hear that? Or do you think Jesus said it like this, go, and make, dig, sigh. Some of you are irritated with me now. I'm actually irritated with myself. How are we choosing to walk in faith? You see, when he said go and make disciples and we're 25 years into faith, is it possible we need to evaluate our own maturity? So he says to him, you need someone to teach you again there in verse 12. Now this takes a lot of humility. It takes a willingness to admit, I need to learn something tonight. And I've been in the faith for decades, but I need to allow the word of God to invest something in my life because we may not be where we think we are in faith. And like he says, maybe you've come to need milk. You hear that and you go, Pastor Chet, you're just getting back and all of a sudden you're just, you know, I invited a friend today. It's like, no, this is not the message that we wanted. How are you going to respond to this? you get all worked up. I need us to remember how much time the Holy Spirit has taken to express who we're dealing with and what we're dealing with. He's our great high priest. He can sympathize with us. He has compassion on us. He sacrificed for us. He loves us enough to tell us the truth. Remember, he told us there was going to be suffering. He didn't lie to us. He made it very clear of what we were walking into. Life is hard. And he says, you can do it with me. Now imagine what it looks like at a restaurant for an adult to be looking like a child. He loves us to tell us the truth. Let me tell you something. If that's you in faith, it's not a great look for you. So he loves us enough to tell us, listen, you've been in the faith for a long time. Are you making disciples? Or maybe... We all might be humble enough to receive. Are you investing into anyone spiritually? If not, you might still be in a spiritual high chair and God's making Google eyes trying to get you to eat. Take a look. This is cute. but it's awkward. I don't know why they put macaroni and cheese on my nose. But I want you to understand, this is awkward. This looks funny. And I wonder spiritually what we look like. Are we choosing to follow the Great Commission and make disciples, or are we, we can take it down now. Are we choosing to make disciples, or are we choosing not to? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word, and maybe you'll underline this, the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You see, these guys have learned how to swim, but they don't want to leave the, they don't want to leave the shallow end. They have no desire to go into the deep end of faith. And we're going to see in a minute why they don't want to go into the deep end, hold on to the thought. But they're still drinking milk 25 years into faith. Now, I need to let you know something about milk, especially when you're a baby. Milk is very important, it gives the foundation in order for the child to grow. But if it's your only diet as an adult, after you've been in the faith for a long time, it actually declares that you're a baby. You see, there's got to be a point in our faith where we actually like the book of Leviticus. (laughs) Amen? There's got to be a point in our faith where the five sermons of the book of Deuteronomy from Moses, we come to realize it's the foundation, the milk of the New Testament. And while we love the story in Daniel 6 of how Daniel went into the lion's den, Have we ever gotten to Daniel chapter 9 and understood the 70 weeks that Daniel spoke about? He says, he refers to the Bible as the word of righteousness. The Bible puts us in right standing with God. It declares who he is so that we can be conformed into his image because that's the right thing to do. That's why the Bible is called the word of righteousness. It tells us the right way to be in right relationship with God. In fact, Paul exhorts us in Ephesians. Go there with me. Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. Take a look at verse 18. Ephesians three, verse 18. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be, take a look, filled with all the fullness of God. Paul says, listen, you've got to be filled with the great love of God. That's the right thing to do so that you can be conformed into the image of God. That's the word of righteousness. Going back with me, if you would, to uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, the Bible says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now remember, I told you, he gave the problem. He identified it. You went into the doctor's office and they identified this is the sickness that we got to deal with. And once he identified, now he's going to give the prescription. And he says to the believer, it's time to grow up. Take a look at the word, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. But. Great word. But means a complete contrast to what he was speaking about before. And he's saying, don't be babies. Grow up. Become mature. Get to the place of full age. Now, you have your finger in Ephesians chapter 3. Would you go back there with me? Would you go back to Ephesians with me? And this time, we're going to look at chapter 4. He has said that he wants us to grow up. And now in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick it up there in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind and wave of do- doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Do you hear the call for the believer? We are all called to grow up. Scripture exhorts us to go from milk to mush, to meat. Do you remember peas? No, you can't. You know why? Because we wouldn't want to. Do you (laughs) remember that baby food that you mixed up and it became powder and you went from milk to mush to meat as you were feeding your child? Because growth is a process. Growth takes time. Growth takes diligence. Growth takes consistency growth. When I was growing up, we had a growth wall. Do you know what that is? You kind of stand on the wall and your mom and dad, they measure you each year to see how much you have grown. And when you go back and look at that wall, they've sold that house now, but when you go back and you look at that wall, oh, I remember what happened when I was four. Oh, look how much I grew when I was five. Oh, do you remember when I did that thing at five years old? Oh, there's seven. Looks like we missed a year. And then 10, and then 12, and then 14, and then 16. And I got to take a look at how much I have grown. And now I've reached the great old height. I used to be six feet. I'm now 5'11". Something's happening. But my growth is what God intended for me. And the size of the height of the man that I am is the height that I'm going to be. And I love the Lord because what he does is give us a growth chart in Scripture. Take a look at 2 Peter. He says this. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, grow up, add to your faith, virtue. There's a growth chart. Once you get into the word of God, it's going to give you virtue. To virtue, knowledge. There's another growth chart. To knowledge, self-control. Oh, I've been in the faith for a little while. I've no longer got bad language. i am no longer smoking. I'm no longer addicted. To self-control, perseverance. Oh, I've been doing this now for three, four years. To perseverance, godliness. <laughs> Someone just said to me, when they see me, I look a lot like Jesus. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, take a look at your height as a believer. love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge, the fullness of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, listen, if you want to know the height that you need to grow to, listen, it's not a matter of your knowledge, not even a matter of your self-control. Those are all parts of it. But the ultimate experience to show the height of the knowledge of Christ in your life is your love factor. Your love factor you see each one of those give us an opportunity to be able to grow now what the bible is telling us is he's telling us to grow and he says the way that we can grow if you'll take back a look at verse 14 he uh, go with me to hebrews chapter 5 go back to verse 14 he says this those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil by reason of use Do you remember what Jesus told the enemy in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4? He said this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Not some of the words. Leviticus and Deuteronomy are included. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, we can't just pick our pet doctrines. You can't just know the Holy Spirit. Though the Holy Spirit is so important and those spiritual gifts are so important, spiritual gifts are not the only thing found in the Word of God. You can't just pick out a piece of the Word of God and that is exactly what you're holding to and you study your whole life. You are a prophet person. So you study Revelation and Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and you know all the prophecies. You know every single prophecy. But do you know... Do you know about Zephaniah? Do you know any of the kings found in 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings and First and Second Chronicles? Do you know why we do baby dedications? Do you know where that's found in Scripture? Do you have any idea about the seven days of creation and that there was a morning and there was an evening? If I begin to ask some Bible trivia questions, are you getting into the fruit and the vegetables, the meat and the potatoes, potatoes? Because the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I guarantee the five-star meal that you'll get served every time you go in the Word of God will fill you completely. In fact, do you know that the Word of God contains instructions that pertain to everything in your life to show you how to be godly? You may not know where it is in the Bible, but that doesn't mean it's not there. 2 Peter 1, verse 3, Peter is very careful to let us know that his divine power has given to us, not some things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. But the great thing about growth, when I turned 16 years old, my dad and I had worked on a 1965 convertible Mustang we rebuilt the engine. We remodeled, uh, renovated the interior. I painted it fire engine red. And on my 16th birthday, he drove me to the DMV in my 1965 convertible Mustang, and I took my test, and at the age of 16 years old, I drove out of the DMV in Broward County, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I was driving alone by myself at 16 years old with the top down in my 1965 convertible Mustang. Whoa! you should have seen how cool I was. So I thought. But the fact of the matter is at 14, I can't drive. The fact of the matter is at 13, I can't drive. I had to turn 16 years old to gain the opportunity. There's a wonderful opportunity that we get when we mature. And what he chooses to do is give us those opportunities. Take a look again, if you would, at verse 14. He says, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, when we grow in the word, we're given senses. Sense, we're we're given, it's like a spidey spiritual sense. See, we're able to know what's good and evil. It's just obvious. Have you ever been listening to the news and watching some things going, these people don't make sense? (laughs) Last night. (laughs) Have you ever been listening to someone talk in the world and they're defining something and they believe in it with all of their heart and they're speaking out to Mother Earth and letting her know that she's the creator and you're looking at her and go, okay, you got issues. (laughs) Have you ever been on the beach and you see those people that are talking to the ocean. You ever seen it? Trust me, it's overwhelming. And I'm asking myself, who are you talking to? A fish? Do you think a fish is going to do something for you? I mean, think of what we know to be true. It comes from the Word of God. And the Word of God gives us a spidey sense. It's able to help us know right from wrong, good from evil, immediately. I know a guy. They just got a new puppy. And he thought it would be cute. That when they went to work, he would put a pile of pudding on the floor. And he just thought to himself, this will be so funny. My wife's going to come home and she's going to be all upset. You see, he didn't want the puppy. So he was trying everything he could to get rid of the puppy. So he puts a little pile of pudding on the floor and they walk in the house and he walks over to the pile of pudding and he goes to his wife. He goes, look, (laughs) I told you, listen, if I eat this, will you get rid of this dog? So he put his fingers into that pudding And he put his fingers into his mouth, not knowing that the dog thought the pudding was the place where he needed to go number two. And he put... And as soon as he put it in his mouth, guess what he did? He was able to discern good from evil immediately. When the world feeds us things that is not true... We should be able as Christians to go, blah, blah. And let me tell you why. Because the Word of God is able to help us know what's good and evil, we're able to discern. Because the word of God is truth. There isn't truth outside of the word of God. It alone determines what's good and evil. So if the word says it's good and the world is calling it evil, trust the word of God. If the word of God is calling it evil, but the world says that it's good, trust the word of God. It is the word of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 6, take a look. He's beginning to wrap up. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let's go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Stop there for a minute. You see, therefore is therefore a reason. He's wrapping up. And what he wants to do is he wants to remind them it's time for you to be perfected. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to become complete. The knowledge of the life of Christ is how you got saved. That salvation knowledge is the foundation by which your spiritual house is being built. But there's still a house to be built. You see, constant progression of construction is how a house gets built until it's finished. And you're a spiritual stone. In 2 Kings chapter 6, when Solomon was building the temple, there was to be no hammering of a stone on Temple Mount. All the stones had to be hammered down in the quarry. And then they would lift him up, and if it didn't fit, It went right back down until it would perfectly fit there on Temple Mount. Now let me express the spiritual truth behind this. Do you realize that God is hammering you out here on earth? That he is completing the good work that he started in you until he brings you home and places you on that foundation of Jesus Christ there in heaven? God is sanctifying you. And he's sanctifying you by the word of God. Tim Keller recently passed away of pancreatic cancer. He was the senior pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. And when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I remember an interview that I watched. And the interviewer asked him and said to him, hey, listen, I have a question for you. Why do you think God gave you a death date? Tim thought about it for a moment and he said this. Because I have ignored spiritual, some spiritual things in my life that God knows I need to deal with before I get to heaven. So the Lord let me know when I'm going to go home so that I would no longer be complacent about those things that need to get worked out in my life. What a thought! Hey, church, it's time to be completed. There's a house to be built. So he says, Listen, he says, leaving the discussion. Now, that word discussion is the word logos leaving the word. Now he's not saying walk away from the word of God. No, no, no. He's saying it's time to let go of. Do you remember when you dropped your kid to school for the very first time in kindergarten and they are holding on to you with everything they've got and you're prying their fingers off so that they will go into class because you know that school is the best thing for them but they're terrified to go in so you're peeling their fingers off your arm. I need you to see what the Jews were holding on to. Take a look again of chapter, one, chapter six, verse one and two. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead works, faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Six things. He mentions six things. I need to let you know something about these six things he mentions. You see, these were Hebrew Christians. These were Jewish Christians. And he's writing these six things that are common ground between Judaism and Christianity. Both religions, both Judaism, first century world, and Christianity hold to these things. Jews believe in the repentance from dead works. And he's really making it very clear. Would you get rid of the law out of your life? He says to this, and of faith toward God. That's Jewish. Of the doctrine of baptisms. That's Jewish. This word is ceremonial washings. So this is just as Jewish as it is Christian. Of laying out of hands. Jewish. Of resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees believe, And of eternal judgment. The Jews believed in all of these things. See, what was happening is, the first church of Hebrews were trying to do the Jewish-Christian thing. They were trying to not really be different, but just assimilate into the culture. Remember, he was writing to Jewish Christians, and they had found a way to coincide their faith with a Jewish counterpart. They found commonalities of the way that they could coexist. They found ways to relieve themselves of the pressure from their family. Let's not talk about Republican-Democrat. Let's just talk about... And they came up with a solution, an issue, so that they could not have division in their family, no longer talking about Jesus. No, 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 let's talk about repentance, because that's Jewish. Let's talk about uh, resurrection. That's Jewish. Let's talk about topics that are common in the Jewish and the Christian faith. They focused their faith on what they agreed on. They were ecumenical. There's one huge problem. I don't know if you noticed, there's one thing missing from this list. The cross. The cross was missing. You see, the world has no problem with Christians. The world has absolutely no problem. Listen, we are peace-loving people. They have no problem with that. The world wants peace. The world has no problem with the fact that we're loving. They love that about us. The world has no problem in the fact that we are kind. There's nothing wrong with the fact that we are kind. The world has no problem that we love good works. The world has no problem that we are charitable and we do great things around the world. But if you mention the cross they're enraged. The cross becomes the dividing ground. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 23, look what the Bible says. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentile Greeks, foolishness. Just go to work. Be kind, be loving, be gentle, be charitable, and then tell them about Jesus and see what happens. They love the fact of the common ground that we exist in. In fact, this is where the social gospel emerged. The only adjective that goes in front of the gospel is revelation, the everlasting gospel. Social gospel? We'll go into a country, do good works, but let's not mention Jesus. That may upset the people. Let's dig the well, and that's all we're going to do. Let's go ahead and build the house, and let's do a little bit of great work in that community, but let's not mention Jesus because they may get upset. That's where the insider movement started. The Insider Movement was a movement only a few years ago where if you were Muslim, you can stay in the mosque and you can do everything Muslim. Well, as long as you believed in Jesus, just be Muslim. It's okay. It was called Chrislam. It was an identity where you can be a Christian and you can be Islamic and it really didn't matter. But let me tell you something, it does matter. Because when you come to Christ, he doesn't merge with the world. The cross is the dividing line. In fact, he calls us to come out from amongst the world, to be separate, to be different. This group, they'd found a place of compromise. This group, they'd allowed, they wanted peace with the people around them more than they wanted peace with God, and it was stunting their growth in Christ. And church, we gotta be careful we got to be careful not to live in that kind of compromise. Our growth in Christ leads us not to ignore the cross. Our growth in Christ leads us to pick up our cross and follow him. There will always be something distinctly different about the believer because there's a difference of light and darkness. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 3 he concludes with this truth. And this we will do if God permits. You see we can only do this growth thing by God working in us. In fact the evidence the evidence that God is working in you is that you are growing. That you're making disciples. That you're preaching the gospel There's there's going to be a clear distinction between you and the rest of the world because you're going to show the cross and you're going to pick up your cross and follow him. You're going to be a loving cross bearer. You're going to know good from evil. You're going to know right from wrong. I'll conclude with this. It's in Acts chapter 19. You don't need to turn there. Paul's in Ephesus. And while Paul is in Ephesus there are people coming to Christ and they are sorcerers. They're magicians. They're into all kind of magic. And the Bible says, when they came to Christ, they brought their magic books. In Acts chapter 19, they brought their their magic books and they burned them. And and Luke writes, it was worth 50,000 silver pieces. That was a lot of money. 50,000 silver pieces. They're burning the book. There's revival in Ephesus. People are coming to Christ and getting rid of all of their books and all of their games and all of their demonic activity that was going on in Ephesus and they burned them. They got rid of them. In Acts chapter 19, verse 20, we discover why. Take a look at the screen. Acts chapter 19. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. When the word of God grows in you, trust me, you can't help but be transformed. And if you want to take a look at your growth chart, you'll know you're at the full height of Christ when you love the way that Christ loves. And church, that's our goal. That's why we have Thursday nights. That's why we have Sunday mornings. That's why we do what we do so that every single one of us grow in Christ. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, I'm just so thankful for the great word of God, and I'm so thankful for how you love us and care for us. And I just pray in Jesus' name, you'd minister your grace. And Lord, I pray that we'd all grow. I pray we'd all grow. I pray that we'd all be changed. I pray that we'd all be different. I pray that when you look at us, we're not still sitting in the high chair, but we are making disciples and we are being changed each and every day. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? Go and make. Let's not be slothful anymore. Let's not be babies. Let's be busy about the work of the Lord. Amen. Man.